It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Locked On Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can also find the show on your smart speaker. If you just ask it to play podcast Locked On Vikings, it'll just play the latest one. It's a really cool feature. Works with all of the Locked On shows, Locked On NFL, Locked On Draft, all that good stuff. Just ask it, hey, play podcast Locked On Vikings. So despite the barren wasteland of nothingness that is Vikings news right now, there's absolutely nothing going on, we have a pretty jam-packed show. This is the last show that you're going to hear from me before Super Bowl Sunday, so we'll talk a little bit about that, and we are going to talk about uh, the salary cap a little bit. The Vikings have some work to do. They're up against the cap. There's a lot of different options for ways they can make room to potentially go out and find, you know, free agent offensive linemen, replace guys that might leave like Anthony Barr or Sheldon Richardson. Uh, they're going to need to do something to make some cap space for that. And we're going to talk about some of the strategies that they could possibly uh, employ. But first, the pain bracket is going strong. Yesterday, I asked you all to vote between uh, the 1975 Divisional against the Cowboys, the Drew Pearson push-off Hail Mary game, and Carl Kosilke's motorcycle accident also in the 70s. Uh, the Drew Pearson push-off won uh, by a landslide. It was like 94% of the vote. I think uh, that was probably a-, a factor of it just being a lot more famous and a lot more memorable, and also of, you know, the the audience being a lot younger, and that's the one that they've heard about. I think I think the people who voted for Carl Kosilke were the people who were alive through that. And I appreciate all of you, but now it's time to move on to the next matchup. Today we are going to ask you which hurts more to think about, Adrian Peterson's uh, whole situation from the 2014 child abuse scandal to his unceremonious exit from the team, the all the way down to his final play as a Viking being a fumble in a blowout home loss, or Blair Walsh missing that kick wide left to end the 2015 season. These are both more a little bit uh, recent things. We again have a a game, a playoff game, a loss matched up against a kind of team level off field thing. Uh, So I'm curious to see your thoughts, which hurts more to think about how everything with Adrian Peterson ended after his amazing Hall of Fame run with the team or Blair Walsh missing a kick that would have given Teddy Bridgewater a playoff win, would have given Mike Zimmer a playoff win in his first playoff game as a head coach and sent the Vikings into a, a vulnerable Arizona Cardinals team that they had almost beaten like a month and a half earlier. So please go vote on that. The link is in the show notes for you to go vote in the poll. There is no news to go over. Most of the conversation in the Vikings community right now is surrounding the polar vortex. I am fortunate enough to live in Los Angeles and be covering the team from afar. So uh, my condolences to everybody out there dealing with the cold. Uh, My heart is with you. Let's move on uh, to the Super Bowl. Speaking of Los Angeles, the Rams are playing the Patriots on Sunday in a game that is pretty big. And I want to break it down and cover it for you. We can get a little bit in on this side of the ad break. We might have to finish on the other side. Uh, But the way that I want to break this down is kind of a tale of the tape thing, which is something that I see on like pregame shows a lot where they like match up, you know, okay, who has the better quarterback? Eh, Tom Brady's better than Goff. Who has the better receivers? Eh, Rams probably have the better receivers. And they go down the roster like that and then decide who's going to win based on that. And I love that idea of kind of looking at the different matchups and the facets and seeing just who is going to win in more areas of the field. But I think 
comparing players who will never be on the field together is a mistake. So we're going to do something like that, except we're going to talk about, you know, the receiving versus the coverage and the passing versus the coverage kind of too. You know, the offensive lines versus the defensive lines. Who has the advantage in the run defense versus run offense? And, and we will talk about football kind of through that lens and then come up with a Super Bowl pick that way. So I actually want to start out in the trenches because there's a really interesting matchup right away on the Patriots side of the ball. Dante Scaramencia, he is uh, like this legendary offensive line coach. He's been built up to mythical status uh, because of what he's been able to do uh, with the Patriots offensive line that like lost their first round pick at the beginning of the year. They lost Nate Solder. Everybody thought they were going to kind of be this mess and they've been one of the best offensive lines in the league. It's been a huge reason that the Patriots are here in the first place, you know, up there in in credit with Belichick and Brady and all the stuff that they can do on defense. The line's been really good. And then on the other side, you have Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue and Michael Brockers and this, like, just murderer's row of talent that has been able to, I mean, they've been able to pressure guys at unreal rates. And if anybody can get to Tom Brady in a way that nobody really has in the playoffs, you know, neither the Chargers nor the Chiefs were really able to get in Brady's face and fluster him. If anybody can do it, the Rams can do it. It will be a really, really awesome matchup to watch. I think as good as the Patriots line has been, I just don't think you can contain Aaron Donald like he's Aaron Donald. And, and I, I think that like he has has uh, gotten pressure uh, if you remember the pass rush episode yesterday, that pass rushing, pass rushing productivity stat that we talked about, he's at 13.6 right now, It's that which is unreal. That would be elite for a defensive end, and he's coming in from the inside. And when you're rushing from the inside, you're at a disadvantage because A, you face a bunch of double teams. Part of that is because you're Aaron Donald, but the other part is that there's five offensive linemen and four defensive linemen, so somebody gets to be double teamed all the time, and they usually do that on the bigger defensive tackles on the inside. So when you're not doubling the nose tackle who in, in uh, Los Angeles is in Damakong Su, they're going to double Aaron Donald all the time and he's still getting pressure at an unreal clip and it's also just better to get pressure up the interior when you do because it's just a quicker path to the quarterback right and against a guy like Tom Brady it is especially true the data actually doesn't bear that out because there's a lot of quarterbacks that can like evade that and when they see the pressure coming they can either get rid of the ball or kind of do something when you see it coming and then if but pressure on the outside is a lot harder to react to uh you know you can't you can't sidestep that quite as easily but when you're somebody like Tom Brady who has excellent pocket presence but I mean he's 42 the mobility's not quite there uh you know pressure from Aaron Donald can really have an impact in that game so I'm going to go advantage Rams there though it's close and it's one of the matchups I'm most excited to watch on the other side you have a Rams offensive line that has played very well in this playoffs I mean they've like famously dominated the Cowboys in the run game and you have a pass rush for the Patriots that has been kind of lackluster this might be the most clear advantage that I can give to the Rams. And this is where I'm going to say something that I think permeates this whole game. And it's that the Rams have not been here and the Patriots have. So I think even though, you know, the Rams look so much better in the trenches on both sides of the ball, you know, you're, you're dealing with a Patriots team that has been here three years in a row now, and you're dealing with a bunch of Rams that haven't been close. You know, Aaron Donald with all the Rams futility and all, all of the other like kind of lifelong Rams that haven't been close to this. I mean, John Sullivan hasn't been close to this as, as a center. Uh, Ndamukong Su, he spent time with the Lions and Dolphins, like floundering around there with those crappy teams. They're all great players. Marcus Peters, too, you know, with a bunch of unsuccessful uh, Chiefs teams. They're awesome players from teams that didn't quite make it because of other reasons, but that means that there's definitely a dearth of experience here 
in terms of, of playing in the Super Bowl, which is a different energy. It's a different vibe. It's a bigger stage. You have the bye week right beforehand. And then you've got Tom Brady, who's been in a million of these. So I think, you know, the Rams on paper in the trenches just look better. That's just fact. They look better. Uh, but if the Patriots were to come dominate in the trenches, I wouldn't, my jaw would not hit the floor. They have been here before. And I think that there's a, an immeasurable energy to that, that you have to kind of account for. So we will talk about the receivers and the coverage and the run games and all that on the other side of the ad break. But first we do have to quick step away. So I will see you guys in a minute. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and uh, respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. Okay, we are back. So quick note before uh, I move on to the other things on the battle in the trenches, there was an awesome article uh, by Ted Wynn. He writes for The Athletic. He's at FB underscore film analysis on Twitter. He is a must follow. He's a great uh, analyzer of tape. And he did an awesome article about how the Patriots could try to slow down that, that vaunted Rams pass rush. I'll be sure to link that in the show notes. You should definitely go check it out. But for now, let's move on to the run games. So starting on the Patriot side of the ball, there's another excellent Ted Wynn article uh, that he wrote in anticipation of the AFC Championship game, but all the principles still apply because it's all about the Patriots run game and kind of the scheme that they use. So they use a very similar zone scheme to what the Vikings use, but they have been coached to be a lot more fine-tuned and they have better chemistry and they're just, just they're, it's an operation that has, you know, ha- been subjected to a lot less turmoil. So it makes it a lot easier to pull off these concepts that require a lot of chemistry and a lot of kind of uh, nonverbal communication and then just like knowing what the other guy is supposed to do in what situation and being on the same page, kind of like a passing offense that's been together for a little bit longer. Uh, and therefore they have a lot more success. Essentially, the Patriots are able to work a lot of variety into the run game. This is something we kind of saw Kevin Stefanski try to replicate uh, late in the season, but they can really attack the Rams from a bunch of angles. They can run right at Aaron Donald. Sometimes that's actually the best way to deal with a really good player is to run directly at them, uh, like literally angle-wise directly at them because it makes it very hard for them to disrupt the play when it's straight on like that. Uh, usually it's a lot easier for a player to disrupt a run play when they're able to shed a block and get away to the side. But if they have to go directly through somebody, it can be a really easy way to like make it uh, easier for your offensive lineman to beat superstars like Donald. You could run away from him. You can run uh, in a whole bunch of different directions. I'll link this article too because there's a lot more detail to it. We just don't have time to get to it. 
but I'm giving the Patriots offense the edge in the run game, and I'm also giving the Rams offense the edge in the run game. I think C.J. Anderson's playing very well. Todd Gurley is not on the injury report. He will also be healthy. That means that you can kind of rely on both of those veteran backs to make the correct reads, make the proper reads and stuff. And then I think that, you know, Roger Saffold, and I think John Sullivan is playing really well. Andrew Whitworth is playing really well. That that's There's a lot of age on that line, huh? But similarly to the pass rush, I just don't think that the the Patriots have the juice in their front seven to really stop that run game. But I don't think that's what the Super Bowl is going to come down to, right? It's going to come down to Tom Brady, Jared Goff, the McVay scheme, the Josh McDaniels scheme. It's going to come down to the passing game. So let's talk about that real quick. Starting on the LA side of the ball, there's a whole bunch of really awesome matchups that I can't wait to watch. There's Brandon Cooks against Stephon Gilmore. When you have kind of star-on-star matchups like that, I usually just call it a wash. Obviously, it'll be a really fun matchup to watch, and I'm really excited about it. But when it comes to predicting, you know, if if one of those guys really beats up on the other, it'll have a huge impact. But they're both very good. It's really hard to predict either of them losing a matchup like that. Like, I don't think either team has an advantage over the other going into this game, but it'll be really fun to watch. On the other hand, you have Jay. C. Jackson, who's come in and he's played really well for a guy who, like, maybe wasn't going to make the roster earlier in the season. He's really come on strong. He's like Malcolm Butler Part 2 against Josh Reynolds, who came in for Cooper Cup and has played really well. Uh, He's been playing on the outside a little bit more, I think. And I actually think there's going to be a lot more impact in that matchup than the the Cooks-Gilmore matchup, right? Because I think Cooks is going to get his, but Gilmore's going to be able to limit it, you know, better than most cornerbacks can. But there's a lot more variance on the other side of the formation. So I actually think if you're going to try to, like, gamble on this, you're going to try to bet, then this would be the time or the matchup to look at. And then in the slot, you have Robert Woods, who's been, you know, dicing people up all year against Jason McCourty, and that matchup is really interesting too. I wonder if if the Patriots will, you know, use more zone schemes and more kind of, like, help all your players out stuff, or if they're just going to man up and hope that you can win. Either way, I think Sean McVay is going to be able to drop a a scheme that can produce, Uh, but Bill Belichick is... You know, he's known for for his defensive mastermind, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's like the guy that can figure out Sean McVay. If anybody can do it, Belichick can. So I I think this one, I I almost want to call it a push. It is a really, really hard thing to predict. I'm going to give it edge Rams. I'm giving a lot of things edge Rams here. Um... But this one is, like, really close. I don't feel very confident in that at all. And part of that is just Jared Goff. Uh, Even though he's had a really nice season, I don't think he's the kind of guy that can elevate the talent around him. I think he's elevated by the talent around him very well. That's great for the Rams, and I think it can work for them for a long time because Sean McVay won't stop being smart. Uh, But in terms of, you know, beating really talented defensive players in a really smart scheme, I think you need a certain caliber of quarterbacks. You know what? Yeah, I'm going to change it. I'm going to say... Uh, advantage Patriots on defense in terms of the pass game, despite Sean McVay and despite all that other good stuff. And then on the other side of the ball, you have obviously Tom Brady, and and it's really hard to say, you know, advantage against Tom Brady. I think Marcus Peters has, you know, he's had a bit of a struggle up and down this season. I think he's playing well now, though. So him going up against a guy like Edelman or Chris Hogan will be really fun to watch. You also have Aqib Tlaib on that side. I think they play sides in Los Angeles. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I think that, you know, Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels, I think they'll be able to to take advantage of those cornerbacks. As good as they are, Hogan and Edelman will will be able to operate within a scheme. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of this just comes down to as good as McVay and Wade Phillips are, 
uh, I think the Patriots will be able to outcoach them. So I'm going to give the Patriots the advantage on both sides of the ball in the pass game, and that is going to lead me to actually choose the Patriots to win the Super Bowl. I know that's lame. I know it is it is not bold, and we would all be very sick of watching the Patriots collect yet another Lombardi, but I think that they're just the team that's been there, and they, they are talented enough, even though the Rams are a much better team, not a much better team, but clearly a better team on paper, uh, I think the Patriots and their experience in the playoffs and in this elevated situation is going to put them over the top. I'm also going to link in the show notes, you know, a lot of you guys are having Super Bowl parties, and I think a lot of the people that go to Super Bowl parties uh, are not really familiar with the sport at all. And if you are one of those diehard fans that wants to watch with all your friends, but you don't want them to have no idea what you're talking about, I'm going to link in the show notes a video that I like to show people when they're watching their fir- their first football game uh, that just describes the basics of football. Uh, feel free to share it and, and show it to people that you think will enjoy the Super Bowl a little bit better if they have a dang clue what's going on. Uh, but that is going to do it for Super Bowl preview. Let us move on to the Viking salary cap. We are going to talk a little bit about the things that the Vikings can do can save a little money. We are going to go to an ad break first, and when we come back, it'll be uh, all Vikings, all money, all the time. All right, we are back. So let's talk a little bit about what the Vikings can do with their cap. And the first thing that I'm going to talk about is actually something they can do to hang on to a guy like Anthony Harris, who is a you know starting quality safety, at least he was in 2018. I think you can safely project that he will be because he's you know he's evolved so steadily uh, into the guy that he is now. But he is uh, a restricted free agent, which is something that is different than an unrestricted free agent which is what most free agents that you're familiar with are. So unrestricted free agents, they just go out into the market, they're jobless, and teams get to bid over them, and then they get to choose who they want to play with, and that's that. Restricted free agents have a different rule set, and you may remember the Vikings doing this with Nick Easton, they did this with Adam Thielen back in the day, and you do something called a tender. So this is basically a way for the Vikings to save money at the safety position. Uh, The the easiest one is to cut Andrew Sandejo, and the easiest, most simple way to save money is to cut players that have no dead money on their contract that you don't need anymore. So with Anthony Harris, you can place a tender on a restricted free agent. Essentially, it is the same thing as unrestricted free agency, but the the team that is about to lose the player gets a whole bunch of options and kind of a, a first right of refusal, as it were. So if you place a tender, you have to pick a round most of the time. So you can either pick a first round, a second round uh, of the pick of the draft, or the original round that they were drafted in. For Anthony Harris, since he wasn't drafted, it would be nothing. But say you put a first-round tender on Anthony Harris. There is a preset designated amount of money that is essentially a contract that you're offering him worth, I think it's like four-ish million dollars, and you're offering him a four million dollar contract, and anybody else can outbid you. He can go negotiate with other teams and and do something. Say another team comes out, say the Packers come in and they say, we want Anthony Harris, we are going to pay him six million. So the Vikings then get a choice. Either they match the six million, at which point the Packers go home and you keep Anthony Harris, you pay him six million now, or you can refuse and say, no, we're not going to pay six million for Anthony Harris. We're going to let the Packers have him, but in return, we get your first round pick. That's what the first round and first round tender refers to. So they had put a second round tender on Nick Easton and on Adam Thielen. Nobody matched it because nobody wanted to risk being out a second round pick. Uh, and like nobody came by and touched it at all. They signed the tender. They now play under that, and that's their contract. Teams tend to avoid 
going after that tender because, you know, draft capital is so valuable to them. Nobody would trade a second round pick for Anthony Harris. As good as he's been, people just don't value safeties that highly. And, and I don't, I mean, he's not Earl Thomas, right? So I think you could place a second round tender on Anthony Harris pretty, pretty safely. You could even try an original round tender, which essentially just means that the Vikings have first right of, right of refusal to, you know, match any offers. Um, and I think you could kind of get away with that as well. I don't think that teams really know about Anthony Harris. He has a small, I mean, if you're, imagine you're an outside team looking at Harris, he has a small sample size. He was an undrafted free agent. He's like undersized quote unquote for a safety. And even if you watch him play and say, wow, he played very well. He uh, didn't play a full season because he's been buried behind Anderson Dejo for so long. And the Vikings, who have had this guy in their organization the whole time, know exactly how much they value him and will definitely match anything that other teams come at you. So you could even put an original round tender on him and probably get him cheaper. I don't think you have to. A second round tender, I think, is like $3 million in change uh, for Anthony Harris. And I think that would be an awesome deal. You cut Anderson Dejo, you save $2 million. There you go. Another thing you could potentially do is restructure contracts. Now, there's a bunch of different ways that this can go, and I just want to go over them as, like, generic options, and then we can also talk a little bit about, like, the specifics of what the Vikings can do. So one very common way that teams will restructure contracts is they will come to a player that has a a high cap hit and very low guarantees. This was Latavius Murray last year. He signed a deal like this. But this year, it's a guy like Everson Griffin, right? He's making like $10 million. Very little of it is guaranteed. It makes him an easy cut, and that can make players uneasy. A lot of players who are retired or who get cut say like, yeah, I was very uneasy about that. You know, I had a big contract number, but there was no reason that the the, the team I was playing for couldn't just say like, now nah, we're not going to play you anymore. We're not, we're not going to pay you. Bye-bye. They want a little bit of security. They want those guarantees. And it's a good incentive to say, hey, if you take a little less money, we'll guarantee all of it. And and for a player, you know, if you're making, say you're Kyle Rudolph and you're making seven and a half million and they say, hey, we'll cut you down to four and a half million, but we'll guarantee all of it. That might make a player like Kyle Rudolph a, a lot, feel a lot more stable and, and feel a lot more valued. And to him, that three million isn't nearly as important. He's made a ton of money over his career. For him, it's the security. I, I don't know if that's Kyle Rudolph's situation specifically. He could be very much into the money. Uh, and he has really no reason to like take a deal like that because he would probably be pretty valued on the free agent market, but just as an example. So they could do that with a player like Sandejo. If they really wanted to keep him, they could go to him and say, hey, we're, you're going to be a backup to Anthony Harris this year. And we're going to pay you like a backup. We'll pay you like two and a half million dollars to be a backup, a good, a very good backup safety. We'll guarantee all of it and we'll cut the rest of your contract. This is essentially what they did to Latavius Murray. If you take it, great. If not, good luck in free agency. And I think that I wouldn't be surprised if a conversation like that hasn't already happened with Andrew Sandejo. Another common restructure that we see in the NFL is you'll see all the time, uh, the Saints did this a ton a few years ago, and it actually really hurt them, is converting salaries to signing bonuses. And essentially what that is, say you're paying a guy $15 million a year. Uh, this was this was Drew Brees, and it put the Saints in just cap hell for like four years. It's why they went seven and nine a bunch, and they couldn't build a defense. So, say you're paying a guy fifteen million dollars, and you don't want to. Uh, say you're, he, he's got like fifteen million dollars, and he's got two more years on his contract that are expensive too. And you say, okay, we cannot pay this fifteen million dollars. We got to open up cap space for something. Here's what we're gonna do: we're going to convert that into a signing bonus. Uh, essentially will give you a new contract with the exact same parameters, but instead this year's salary of this year's salary being a salary, we'll have this year's salary be a signing bonus. So the player gets a check of that amount in their hand right away. 
they can go to the bank, deposit it, buy their mom a car. So players really like it when you do this because it's like money right there. You can cut me. You still, I still got my money. I still took it all to the bank. I secured the bag, right? So the way, the advantage of this is the way signing bonuses work in the NFL. So signing bonuses, when you sign a contract, you get a signing bonus that is money in your pocket. And in terms of the salary cap, it is counted evenly distributed across all the years of your contract. So if you sign a $15 million contract over three years, or if you sign, if you have a $15 million signing bonus over a three-year contract, it's going to be $5 million over each of those years. So you just reduced that player's cap hit in this year from $15 million to $5 million. So you helped out this year. You opened up $10 million of cap space. You can do something else. The problem is you also made the other two years $5 million more expensive, right? Because you put $5 million of the money from this year into the other years. So you're basically just kicking the can down the road and procrastinating a big problem. And it can really, really build up over time if you keep doing this. Uh, it, it can really hurt your team over time because you'll end up with these like guaranteed years at the end of contracts that are just like ridiculous and uncuttable and you can't work around them and maybe the player isn't even good anymore. It's it's a fairly risky thing to do. The Vikings don't like to do that a lot because they're a very much like a long-term team and converting signing bonuses or converting salary into signing bonus is very much a short-term win-now move. And I don't think the Vikings view things as win-now. I think they view things as make the team as good as you can and try to win every year. So the best candidates for a move like that, if the Vikings really decided they wanted to, if they, you know, really, really just, they want to extend Anthony Barr and they don't have the money and they have to do it, uh, it's guys that you don't foresee yourself cutting anytime soon, guys that are young, guys that you can kind of project, all right, he is going to be a lot more expensive four years from now. This has to be worth it. I think the Vikings view Eric Kendricks in that way. And I think that's something that could happen for him. I actually think all three of the big extensions that they signed, uh, you know, in like August of 2018, the Daniil Hunter one and the Diggs one could also have that done to them. I do not think the Vikings are going to do this. But if you were, you got to pick contracts that are, are have a lot of years left on them so that when you're distributing that signing bonus cap hit, you're distributing it over a lot more years and making it all a lot less painful uh, just by spreading it out so much. You could also just ask players to take a pay cut, right? That's like a really nice way to save money. The problem is you don't have any leverage. That's not a negotiation unless it's a threat and I'm going to cut you or you take a pay cut. That is something that you can do. But I, I think as a team that's trying to build a culture where people want to come here, that's not, I don't know, that's just not the best idea. It's its not very good form. Players kind of learn that, that you deal very aggressively and ultimately, if you're a team that people don't want to play for, that comes with a tax. You have to pay a little extra to outbid everybody else in free agency if people know that you're a team that, you know, is dysfunctional. I think this has been a problem in Cleveland for a long time, right? And I think the Vikings are, are benefiting from the opposite effect, where people, you know, know that it's a good culture and a place you want to be, and people will be willing to come here a little bit more cheaply. I mean, Kirk Cousins turned down an extra, like, $6 million to play here instead of in New York. And a lot of play, I think Sheldon Richardson turned down a bigger deal in Seattle to play here as well. And also, you know, in terms of us as fans, projecting that is like a little irresponsible, I guess, because the Vikings have no leverage. Like if we are saying, hey, you know, Kyle Rudolph should take a pay cut in here is my offseason plan where Kyle Rudolph takes a four million dollar pay cut for no reason. It's really hard to like project that because why would he do that unless it was like out of the goodness of his own heart? But that's very much up to him and not up to the team. And if you're trying to plan an offseason, I think relying on that would be kind of irresponsible. I think, you know, try, maybe ask if you think you should, but there's really no reason for a guy like that to take a pay cut just out of the kindness of his own heart. 
It's just not up to the team, and it's definitely not up to the fans. So that is going to do it for a jam-packed episode of Locked on Vikings somehow, even though there's no news. Thank you for bearing with me as I rushed through all of that. I really wish I could talk more about the Super Bowl. We'll definitely talk more about free agency. Uh, But next time you see me, there will be a Super Bowl champion. We will talk about the game, and we will talk about if there is any news that crops up over the weekend. Maybe we'll see some coaching movement happen over next week once all of the coaching staffs are actually done with the season and all of the the handshake deals can be officially inked. But until next time, uh, my name is Luke Braun. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can ask your smart speaker to play podcast LockedOnVikings. Get the show that way. Vote in the pain bracket, and I will see you all next week. Skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.